myth of God's children or how the twelve signs got their groove on. Go back in time, some five billion years, and imagine the earth as a great hole, a chamber of multiple treasures, both physical and spiritual. Outside of it is an astral lobby, a waiting room for angels, if you like. Separating the two is a door, but not just any door, it's a portal of raging fire, a vortex of swirling flames. God and Goddess invited their twelve angelic children into the waiting room and said, This is the earth, a glorious garden that we would like you to protect and serve. As a token of our appreciation for your dedication to this task, each one of you, one after the other, may take from the chamber of gifts whatever you can carry. Then you must ascend to the skies and fortify yourself as a constellation that will help to guide all sentient beings who must navigate the darkness. The magnificent dozen looked at each other, anxious to plunge into the chamber and retrieve their loot, but they were all paralyzed by the fear of the unfamiliar and afraid, too, of the portal of fire that stood between them and the treasure-laden chamber called Earth. Well, to be precise, eleven of the twelve were afraid. Before the debate over who should be the first even begun, Ares, the first, jumped through the vortex with a wild warrior cry. The rest rushed to the windows to see what happened. They anxiously watched the agile, lean and athletic body of their crazy brother hurtle into the unknown. He survived, thank the Lord. Somehow he landed on his feet and the fire of the portal did not destroy him. After all, Ares is a fire sign. How could fire destroy fire? How could the flame burn itself? He was the first, the initiator, the pioneer, and he liberated all the others from the bondage of their fear. He cleared the path and secured the room. Brother Ares, who sometimes is called the ram, tends to be the sacrificial lamb, continuously undertaking bold feats. From that day on, Ares ruled as the first. He was granted the privilege of being the initiator of the astrological year. According to the Bible, Ares is the first month of the year, and the Babylonians celebrated their new year on the first day of Ares. Ares marks the beginning of the spring in the Northern Hemisphere, and with spring comes the emergence of life. In the Chamber of Treasures, Ares naturally decided to take the ability to be first at everything. And in order to do so, he could not carry too much stuff on him. If you want to be number one, you need to run fast. You cannot allow bulky possession to weigh you down. Cleverly, Brother Ares picked up a seed from the ground. What could he do with the seed? Well, within the seed lies the DNA, and the DNA can be cloned into anything you need. After all, inside the seed, there is a forest. Do you think Ares knew where he was going when he jumped into the vortex? Mm -mm. No. Do you think he was brave? Mm, maybe, but often the Ares seems far more stupid than brave. And you can always tell an Ares when you see someone that has a lot of scars on their face. Therefore, it was very clear why Ares is the sacrificial lamb. He is the pioneer. He boldly goes where no one has gone before, and he might not return. 
as the pathfinder, he might die being the first. And if he is remembered, he will become the ram. For example, Van Gogh was an Aries. And the part in his painting that is an Aries is his signature. That's why the key word for Aries is I am. Identity. Your name. Back in the lobby, a great commotion started. Now that the trail has been blazed, who would be the second to descend to the earth? With an enormous grunt, Taurus bullied herself right through the gate, pushing and shoving everyone in her path. Sister Taurus is a very practical woman. She is the Empress. The minute she landed in the room, she looked around and smiled full of an Aries. He left everything valuable untouched, she thought to herself. And since Taurus is a beast of burden, she could carry quite a lot on her back. She started loading it all up. She took the trunk overflowing with money and jewelry. And since that day, Taurus is said to be ruled finance and precious stones. Anything valuable belongs to Taurus. She adores beautiful things, especially if they are expensive. She collected every piece of art from the wall. She grabbed everything with material value. And that is why Taurus rules art, values, talent, and money. But the teaching of Taurus is not limited to material goods. Taurus also teaches us that self-worth, or how much we esteem ourselves and our talents, will determine how much money we can charge for them. Taurus' equation is self-worth plus talents equals money. After Taurus departed the Chamber of Treasures, Brother Gemini appeared out of thin air. What was he doing here? How did he manage to outflank the more ferocious and powerful signs and sneak in before them? Well, the answer, like always, lies embedded in the question. Gemini is the trickster, the magician. He schmoozed his way from the rare with his silver tongue. You can actually witness it every time you go to a prestigious, very in nightclub. You'll see a doorman and a rope and a line of beautiful women and men clamoring to get inside. Then, from out of a small but very fast car, emerges Brother Gemini. He slaps a press sign on his chest and cut right through the line. Why? Was he more famous than the people in the line? More beautiful? More wealthy? No. Gemini is the messenger. And as such, he gets everything for free. Free movies, free gift bags, free everything. Just write up a product in the magazine, a review, and it's all yours. Gemini collected everything necessary for communication, intelligence, and business. He grabbed the phone, the faxes, the computers, the mail system, cables, cars, all means of transportation, books, billboards, radio, TV, advertising, and all sorts of information. His logic was simple. He watched Taurus leave the room with all the art and merchandise. Obviously, she was going to need someone eventually to sell it for her. And he planned to be the one to do so. He would take his commission, you know, his finder's fee, 10% here, 15% there. And without even having to rent a warehouse and carry that junk everywhere, he would wind up making more money than Taurus. Gemini sees the concept of language, commerce, trade, stock market, and numbers. For the first time, the beauty of the zodiac took shape. First we had Aries, the man, then Taurus, the woman, and now Gemini, the messenger, connecting the two. 
In fact, the tarot card representing Gemini is called the lovers. And there you see Adam and Eve. Everybody thinks that Adam and Eve are the first couple. Yes, they are, mythologically speaking. But if you think about it, according to Genesis 1, they were created by the same God at the same time. They had the same parents and they were born at the same time. Therefore, they're twins. Gemini, gemelos, the lovers. Gemini is the connector. And he connects the first yin and the yang, the feminine and the masculine. Gemini also scooped up the concept of lies and theft. I know it sounds harsh, but hey, I did not make Mercury, Gemini's ruler, the god of liars and thieves. Anyone who writes, including me, is a liar and a thief. Writers translate their thoughts into words, and seldom are their thoughts complete and unbiased. Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, once said that the truth cannot be spoken, and whoever even opens his mouth to speak of the truth has already lied. Traders, merchants, business people do the same. They sell you a banana for one dollar when it costs them only 10 cents. Where did the other 90 cents go? Brother Gemini coined the term profit, which is actually a clever way to disguise a little theft. Gemini had no choice because language, his prime booty from the Chamber of Treasures, is an innate kind of a lie. But it's a necessary falsehood. After all, I'm using the cosmic lie right now to convey this information about lies to you. Suddenly, water flooded the chamber, and Her Highness, the Queen of the Ocean, Sister Cancer, surged inside. Many astrologers and mystics call her Mother Cancer. She represents water, and she dripped her way through the cracks of the lobby into this earth. She dripped and poured in such an effective way that it makes the earth 71% hers, by the earth being covered by 70% water. She bathed the chamber and took what instinctively belonged to her, birth, motherhood, compassion, nourishment, all the qualities and concepts that esoteric lore assigns to the element of water. Mother Cancer claimed also the chamber itself, I mean, the actual real estate, the land. Cancer is the sign of immovable objects. That includes land, homes, houses, real estate, and even your family. You can divorce your husband or your wife. You can separate from your friend and never see them again. But any member of your family is immovable. They will always be your mother, your brother, your child. The home represents the shell of the family. And your family is the shell of your personality. And your personality is the shell of your soul. Cancer is symbolized by the crab, which carries its home everywhere it goes. It is also in the tarot represented by the chariot, the place where Arjuna received his knowledge, spiritual knowledge, from the charioteer Krishna. Or in Kabbalah, the working of the chariot, Maaseh Merkava, connected to the chariot of Elijah, who left to the sky blazed in a chariot of fire, as well as the chariot or the throne of God that Ezekiel saw. Cancer represents the ultimate mother, but this archetype is not restricted to women with active wombs, nor is it limited to women in general. 
Anyone who adopts a child who gives birth to a business, an idea, even a poem, is a mother too. For example, when you create a business, you invest unconditional love, energy, and dedication alongside with your money in the project. You see nothing in return, not even a smile for months, maybe years. And yet, you stay up all night working, nourishing the enterprise as if it was an infant. Cancer gave birth to the concept of giving birth. And from that day on, the motherly energies of cancer have supported us in our times of doubt and tribulation, watering us with feelings and compassion. Cancer also carried off the concept of subconscious. She took reign over all the lost memories hidden by the waves of time. And in her infinite compassion, she also took old age so that in the best of all worlds, human beings would enjoy care and nourishing from infancy to old age. Just as the sun appeared after the great flood in the time of Noah, the chamber of treasures next was infused with golden light. The sound of trumpets echoed in the hall, and with a roar, finally at last, the lion arrived. What an entrance! But with all due respect to Leo, or the king, as they prefer to be called, the question remained unasked for fear of reprisal. Why did he wait so long? After all, he's the king, he's the lion. By now, the chamber had been emptied of almost anything tangible. Why did he delay when he commands enough authority and strength to demand to be first? After all, his tarot card is called Strength. The answer is simple. Imagine a regal feast, when the king sits at the head of the table, unless he's Arthur and he's at the head of the circle, and the food is served. Who will eat first? Nope. No, 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 it's not the king. If he's a smart king, he will probably demand that someone else taste the food before him, you know, just in case. So the king allows Ares, who is a fire sign, to taste from the fiery spirits. Then, he approaches Taurus, the earth sign, and asks her to taste the food. Leo then required Gemini, an air sign, to breathe in the air. One can never be too cautious when dealing with poisonous gases, not to mention chemical warfare these days. And finally, he directed Cancer, a water sign, to sample the beverages. Only when the king saw that they were all fine and survived, did he then start to eat. And the party had begun. Leo is the sign of happiness and fun. With little left in the chamber, Leo came up with the concept of creativity. That's what he took from the room. Creativity, the idea of creation. He roared in laughter and enthusiasm and said, if there are no gifts left in this chamber, well, let's create them. Let's pretend. So brother Leo started playing around like a child which is what Leo represents. Let's pretend that I'm the king, he said, and that I have a scepter and a crown and a cape, and you will be my subjects. And when you talk to me, you will say, Your Highness, okay? And indeed, from that day forward, Leo rules children, playfulness, and entertainment, and sports, celebrity, royalty. Leo loves to occupy the center of attention. And since they are so entertaining, we all just play along with let them have their fun. 
This explains why movie stars and royal families fill the tabloids. Everyone wants to know what is happening with the prince, what is happening with the star. We find these scandals so entertaining. Who's marrying? Who's divorcing? Leo took drama from the chamber along with control over the stages, movies, sets, and all creative endeavors. That's why Leo can tend to be a little bit controlling. Leo also snatched perhaps the most dramatic concept of all from the room, love. And for that bit of ingenuity, we ought to take off our hats. Leo grabbed not only love that one feels towards romantic partners, but also what the Sufis call the beloved or the love to the beloved or love towards the divine. Leo took romantic love and spiritual love and therefore the love for oneness. And since Leo is also innocence, childlike, playful, happiness, fun, these are the qualities we need in order to connect to our spirituality. Real spirituality is happy, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's childlike, it's playful. After the glamorous fanfare of Leo, Holy Sister Virgo arrived to the chamber, engendering a certain anticlimax into the cycle of the Zodiac. Unable to out-party Leo, Virgo looked around and found her purpose. She grabbed the broom and humbly began to clean the chamber, picking up the beer bottles, the plastic plates, cigarette butts, and everything else left over from the parties of the king. Without any resentment or hard feelings, she did what she does best. Clean up the mess. Fix the room. Bring order, cleansiness, hygiene, health. Holding a burning bundle of sage, Virgo is also the lady of the herbs after all, she purified the chamber while chanting an old secret spell of warding off negativity. She became the queen of the angels, Guadalupe, the nanny of the zodiac, the Mary Poppins of order. What do we know about Mary Poppins? She takes care of other people's kids other people's projects. She brings magic, but only to other people. Service is what Virgo took from the room. After all, someone actually has to be there to do the king's bidding. Virgo offered herself as the one to follow Leo's will, like a faithful babysitter who reads for the tenth time the same bedtime story to the stubborn little boy. Virgo emerged from the chamber of treasures with the concept of service, work, diet, purification, and order. She became the energy accountant of the Zodiac Wheel. One of the more famous members of her clan is the greatest queen Europe has ever known, England's Queen Elizabeth I, dubbed the Virgin Queen. And indeed, she was a Virgo. And in her ability to understand her sign, and accept her sign, she became so powerful. When she declared herself not married to any men, but married to England, married to her mission. With the chamber of treasures now spotless, shining and purified, Sir Libra, the most handsome knightly brother, appeared. To be honest, the chamber is kind of empty, vacant of treasures, but Libra did not mind for he is the sign of design and symmetry, and it is far easier to design a space 
when you don't have so much stuff clogging it. In Zen, for example, they tell us that the design can be viewed as a relationship between an object and space. In Zen art, as well as Japanese gardens, space is part of the design. Emptiness is part of life. Libra being an air sign relates easily to the idea of space and its significance. In Western art, if you want to paint a tree, usually place it smack in the middle of the composition. But in the East, the tree would be positioned to the side, leaving the other side empty. In this way, the painting is more about the tree and its relationship to space. Libra, therefore, became the sign that rules relationship and partnership. After all, Libra begins in the equinox, coming from the word equal night, the time in the year when the day and the night are equal. We finished six signs that belong to the yang part of the year, the masculine, and we move into the yin, more intimate, more deep. That is what Libra is, the relationship between dark and light, masculine, feminine, and the balancing of the scales of Ma'at, the ancient Egyptian goddess of universal justice. But relationships also gave birth to another concept that Libra took from the chamber, justice. Justice represents the relationship between action and reaction, crime and punishment. For example, as the laws of Hammurabi states, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And these ancient tablets from around 1850 BCE created the lucrative Libra profession we call lawyers. Let's face it, Libra in air sign knows how to make money of thin air. And another very famous Libra who also was a lawyer many years later, Atma Gandhi, related and reflected about these ancient laws written 4,000 years before. And one said, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. And that is also one of the reasons why Libra is the sign of peace and also diplomacy. It's the opposite sign of Aries, which is war. Libra, therefore, is trying to avoid this war or create treaties of peace. And then there was silence. Very deep, deep silence. A quiet before the storm, better still a quiet before the hurricane. Sister Scorpio appeared, veiled by the mists that filled the entire hall. The witch is here. And the second she landed in the chamber of treasures, it was completely forever transformed. With little to choose from, Scorpio took the concept of transformation, including the ultimate transformation, death. While Cancer, another water sign, brought us life and birth, Scorpio, the second water sign, introduced death, the end. Water can quench, but it can also drown. Scorpio also grabbed other concepts that have to do with transformation, including sexuality. Sex, of course, often leads to conception, which enables souls that were dead to reincarnate back into life. In other words, the death of death is life. With sexuality comes, of course, intimacy and secrets. We do that behind closed doors. Everything that Scorpio does is behind closed doors. 
in intimate setting, in secrecy, in the shadow, in darkness. Not in the sense of evil, but the unknown. When a hero or a heroine want to go on an adventure, they usually go to the north, the place where there is not that much light, because that's where the mystery is. That's where hidden things are, the occult, the idea of hidden knowledge. That's what Scorpio represents. And everything we do with Scorpio, we do in small places, in private settings, because it relates to transformation. Even when we go to therapy, we expect the therapist to keep our secrets. When we are making love, and even when we experience somebody die, it's such an intimate moment that we do it in closed doors. Now, how do you know if someone is a Scorpio? Well, you just ask, hey, what's your sign? And if she doesn't want to answer, and if she suddenly turns her way and goes, then she's surely a Scorpio. Scorpios are like spies, undercover agents. And with their secrets come a whole chain reaction of association, including the healing transformations. Witches transform a frog into a prince or a prince into a frog. That's a transformation. And transformation that occurs through intention and spells, secret spells. Also, anything to do with crime, research, paranoia, private investigation, inheritance, other people's money, other people's talents, joint financial affairs, productions, all of those are associated with Scorpio. There's a reason why we celebrate Halloween or the Day of the Dead during Scorpio. In the Northern Hemisphere, it is when the trees shed apoptosis, the shedding of the trees, the shedding of the leaves, they pretend to die. And many people pay a lot of money to travel and look at those beautiful orange and red hues of the foliage. Because Scorpio's message is that death can be beautiful. After the mists of Scorpio dispersed, a gorgeous creature arrived into the chamber. The centaur, half horse, half man, half god, half human. He stood in the center of the room, radiating light and force. Sagittarius is a fire sign. But why did Sagittarius, being so strong and agile, wait so long to descend to the earth? With his power, speed, athleticism, he easily could have fought his way through and grabbed much more things of the chamber. But Sagittarius is a natural-born traveler always fascinated with foreign traditions, foreign planets. He also probably suffered a spasm of attention deficit disorder, ADD, which compelled him to gallop off to some other galaxy or some other place and forgot about the chamber for a few. When he finally arrived, he relaxed and peered around the chamber to choose if there's anything left. And he found one invisible concept that no other sign had bothered to notice. It was a very, very valuable treasure. And yet, eight signs have been here in this chamber, and no one bothered taking it. Is it love? No, no, we said. Leo took it all. Money? No, Taurus has it. What about life? Well, Cancer took it. Sagittarius claimed the truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. As you remember, lies were taken by Gemini. Sagittarius's opposite sign. 
It took nine signs before anyone could see the truth. Isn't that something? Truth is a short but weighty word that includes many other concepts with it, folded inside. Wisdom, philosophy, which is the love of wisdom, teaching, religion, higher education, all of these fell under the sway of Sagittarius. Sagittarius recognized that his love for travel and experiencing different cultures was the only way to know the truth. They say that there is no teacher in his own village. There is no prophet in his own land. If you think, because you live in London, that it always rains, you might think that the truth is that there's only rain. But if you travel to Sahara or to the southern part of Spain, you suddenly realize that rain does not always fall and that the truth is bigger. And therefore, Sagittarius rules foreign cultures, traveling, and higher education. With so much adventure and the unknown of his future, Sagittarius also needed to fortify himself with a few other trinkets from the Chamber of Treasures. And he scooped up luck and optimism. Let's face it, when you're surrounded by Scorpio on one side of your border, right? And then on the other border you have Capricorn, you really need to be optimistic. And if we view the astrological wheel as property, then you might say that Sagittarius is located in the worst real estate of the Zodiac. I'm serious. The tarot card for Scorpio on one border is death, and the tarot card for Capricorn on the other border is the devil. So you are a Sagittarius stuck between the devil and death. So either you get super depressed, or you recognize the idea of luck and optimism. And that is what's so beautiful about the arrangement of the Zodiac. Sagittarius in the Northern Hemisphere is taking place in the 30 days when the night gets bigger and bigger and bigger and longer until the solstice, the last day of Sagittarius, when the night is the longest. So the days are becoming shorter and shorter, less light. And it is in that part of the Zodiac that we have Sagittarius, the bearer of light, giving us optimism, pushing us to the finish line. That's why we celebrate Hanukkah, the holiday where you light a candle every day, or Yule, when you light bonfire everywhere, or Christmas, where you prepare the streets and the trees and bring them a lot of light. The message is clear. If Sagittarius rules over the darkest time of the year and also rules truth, and it means that we find our truth, in the darkest, most difficult moments in our life. Out of darkness come light. Truth represents the light at the end of the tunnel. Another thing that is interesting about Sagittarius ruling the truth and ruling optimism is that what Sagittarius tells us that it doesn't matter. Eventually, everything will be fine. How? Because eventually everybody will attain enlightenment. They will work on themselves one lifetime after the other one lifetime after the other, until they grow, until they become complete. And then they attain enlightenment. They become light, the same light that Sagittarius carries from one place to the other. Therefore, maybe not in this lifetime, maybe in another, eventually in the future, you will attain enlightenment as well as everybody on this planet. And that's why Sagittarius also rules prophecy, truth, prophecy, optimism, they're all related by this archetype. 
Well, after optimism, Capricorn finally enters the room. She's a very cautious sister. She walks slowly and deliberately. And it took her a while to traverse the portal to the Chamber of Treasures. She does everything very slow. At this point, the building was completely empty. The treasures are completely gone. But Capricorn was persistent, diligent, and ingenious. She took the walls, foundation, and the structure of the chamber. Capricorn, for example, in the human body, rules the bones, the skin, the joints, knees, and teeth. Then Capricorn looked down and realized that no one had claimed what lurked underground. Using a shovel, she started digging a hole in the ground, slowly, grain by grain. She has time. Time is ruled by Saturn, her ruler. The little hole became a crater. Because the digging lasted for centuries, she unwittingly exercised a great deal of patience, discipline, endurance. She had a plan. And she adopted all of these qualities in her quest. What did she unearth? Well, all the riches of the earth, rare earth, gold, mineral, uranium, petroleum, diamond, you name it. She extracted it all. And it was a heavy load. And all the serious weight explains why Capricorn moves so slow. But she has time. She's a late bloomer. And she knows that the older she grows, the better life will be for her. Capricorn accepted and incorporated the concept of time. The time that measures your development, your achievements. Time, yes, time makes us old. But time also provides structure to our lives. And yes, the tarot card, the devil, is associated with Capricorn. Not because all Capricorns are demonic, but because the devil, who doesn't really exist, represents the archetype of fear of survival. The fear that there is not enough scarce resources. And indeed, during the period of Capricorn, end of December, middle of January, if you have not saved enough food from the harvest time, from the time of Virgo, then you're not going to make it to the spring. Your children, your family members are going to die from hunger. There is nothing out there. The only thing you have is what you keep in the cellar, downstairs, in the ground. That's what we have to preserve. That's why conservative energy is associated with Capricorn. Your refrigerator conserves food by freezing it, by making it a winter. That's precisely what Capricorn is. And that's why Capricorn plan and they're very disciplined and sometimes they're stingy because they have to make sure that we all make it to the spring. And that's why Capricorn is associated with career, success, ambition, and plan. And then the energy completely changed. Aquarius appeared, landing from out of nowhere in a supersonic spacecraft, emerging like a renegade character Han Solo of Star Wars. After Capricorn departed, there was nothing left. No floor, no walls, no ceiling, nothing. But Aquarius is a genius. It is the sign of intelligence. And brother Aquarius is indeed a genius guy. He took the future. Nobody thought about taking from the room the idea of things yet to come, the future. Capricorn took the past, conservative, tradition, 
the millions of years that has transformed coal into diamond and dinosaurs into petroleum. That's what Capricorn took. But Aquarius, the sign after, decided to grab the future. Does all this sound strange? Somebody taking the future? Well, Aquarius is, after all, the sign that took dominion over things that are weird, strange, unique, and original. He's the rebel. After all, he's the mad professor whose mind works on the threshold between genius and crazy. Who can always invent a new gadget because he's not afraid to think outside of the box. But how does one take a concept like the future from the room? Well, Brother Aquarius invented the concept of copyrights and patents. Aquarius solemnly declared that any invention from this day forth will be registered under his name. It's called trademark. Every future computer, every future phone, every future technology is registered under Aquarius Corp. LTD. That's why Aquarius, for example, rules corporation. Well, you think that in the future we're going to have nanotechnology machines and miniature supercomputer? Great. Aquarius will reply, thank you very, very much. It's ours. If we even colonize any other planet full of gifts, well, that's uh, you needed a spacecraft to get there. It's technology. It's under us. It's invention of the future. Those planets, those galaxies are ours. That is the ingenious of Aquarius. And thank God and Goddess that Aquarius is also the most altruistic and democratic sign, which means that he generally, most of the time, will share ownership and the use of all his new inventions. Freeware, in a sense. Aquarius is all about equality, altruism. In fact, the Hebrew letter in Kabbalah that is associated with Aquarius is Tzadik, which literally means the saint. Therefore, Aquarius registered the future for him, but in a trust fund for the rest of humanity, because Aquarius wants to share everything with everybody. Don't forget, it's the opposite sign of Leo, the king. So we have here the duality or the opposition of monarchy and democracy. Last and ever least arrived sister Pisces, sometimes known as the mermaid. She showed up last because, mm, to be honest, she fell asleep. But also, she loves to imagine. And she had a million imaginary friends who kept her tied up with imaginary affairs. They took her to other dimensions and transported her to visit the land of elves and pixies, not to mention Wonderland. Finally, when the silence of the empty chamber of treasure snapped her out of her delirious, delicious daydream, she glided into the empty place where the room once stood. The future is gone, the past is taken, the walls and the content of the room completely gone. There's a big crater underneath, like an abyss, but she smiled and breathed in, and she sat down in the center of this nothingness. She did not feel as if she has been cheated out of her inheritance or her treasures. She herself felt she was the treasure. She understood that the chamber was an illusion and that all the treasures her siblings had grabbed were illusionary as well. Form is emptiness, she chanted silently. Emptiness is form. Sister Pisces did what she does best. 
She took from the empty space the ability to dream, sleep, and meditate. One does not need anything for that. One can just close their eyes. She sat cross-legged and meditated. She used her power of imagination to reconstruct around her the magical chamber of treasures filled with artwork and computers and seeds. A chamber of treasures stuffed with love and safety, truth and life and death. A chamber situated upon a rich deposit of natural resources, filled with gadgets and futuristic inventions. Then she imagined that out of the vortex of fire appeared her beloved brother, Ares, who with such serious urgency snatched the seed from the chamber. Then she imagined her beautiful sister, Taurus, gracefully choosing and picking and quite frankly taking all the jewelry that she could imagine. Pisces envisioned the rest of her siblings, one after the other, appearing, all believing that the chamber and its treasure was, was really there. She even imagined herself entering the chamber. And then she imagined herself imagining the chamber and all of her siblings entering one by one. When she grew tired of imagining, she simply went to sleep and continued the construction of the chamber of treasures in her vivid, lucid dreams. Pisces loves to sleep because in her dreams, she encountered so much. Like Alice, who dreamed of her wonderland, Pisces dreams up the zodiac, the planet, the treasures, and the rest of us. So next time you feel angry because some Pisces overslept or was late or forgot about an appointment, don't be so quick to judge or patronize them for being lazy. If this sounds far-fetched, let me remind you about another sleepyhead called Lord Vishnu, the magnificent god who, according to Hindu tradition, sleeps on the lotus that floats upon the sea. He's not an idle or lazy god, God forbid, for in his sleep, the Hindus say, he dreams of us. Our joys and love are his blissful dreams. Our challenges and suffering are his nightmare. And that is the full cycle of the wheel, the zodiac wheel. They say many times that humankind's greatest invention is the wheel. Mm, not the wheel that runs chariots or runs car, but the zodiac wheel that has no beginning and no end. Everybody thinks that Aries is the first sign and Pisces is the last. But we just saw that it could be that Pisces imagined all of us into existence. Therefore, Pisces, the last sign, is really the first. That's why in the book of creation, the first book of Kabbalah, it is said that the end is embedded in the beginning, the beginning in the end. And even Homer told us that a good story, you should always start at the end. I hope this journey helped you understand your sign, maybe your loved one's signs, and that you would continue exploring the art of archetypes.